0: It's time for school, Rock School, with your hosts, Dr. Joe Burns.
1: I had no idea that there was this mindset from the guys that ran the industry at that time that the norm was guys with a big, deep voice. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they had to talk like this, you know what I'm saying? Oh, 57 (laughs) degrees outside, you know. That sounds like
0: me. Class is in. This is the Rock School Radio Show, and we're inside of our extended show topics for July. We're doing four interviews right in a row. This is number two of four, and today we're speaking with Donna Halper. Now, some of you who are really into music may know the name Donna Halper. If you don't... I'll tell you the reason I'm able to speak with her is because I was able to work with her at my last radio station WGLL she was the consultant and I got to know her pretty well but it's not the radio concept why I want to speak with her those of you who know the name probably have taken your album Rush and Caress of Steel and turned it over and noticed that the two albums were dedicated to Donna Halper Donna Halper was the woman who was working as music director at WMMS in Cleveland, who discovered Rush. Yeah, Rush, that group. She is well recognized as the person who made Rush famous here in the united states and you'll find her in rush documentaries and she was also at the get-together when rush received a uh, a star on the hollywood walk of fame so i wanted to get the story tell me about discovering rush and we'll also talk about the idea of what has happened to radio a friend of mine donna halper today for an hour on rock school i
1: wonder who
0: this is i had somebody who wishes to talk about the sex lives of walruses
1: no, no, no. Penguins or nothing. No. Oh, I refuse. Well. You asked me about walruses. I said no, and I, no.
0: No means okay? no. If penguins.
1: If it's penguins, it's okay. If it's walruses, it's fake news. <laughs> so, you want to talk music and radio? I will talk anything you want to talk about, but no walruses.
0: Very good. Here we go. I am
1: the Eggman. He are the Eggman. We are the Eggman. I am the walrus.
0: Goo goo ga well, people may be wondering, why on the Rock School Radio Show am I speaking to a person named Donna Halper? Now, some out there, their her name, your name, will immediately invoke a rock band, but let me... Yeah, uh, but those, those are bill collectors. Yeah, yeah the heck they are. Um, the reason I wanted to talk to you uh, during our extended monthly show uh, here in July is because you and I worked together for a short while, and we'll get to that But the big thing about Donna Halper, if the name rings a bell, take one of the first two Rush albums and turn them over. And if I'm not mistaken, they are dedicated to you. They are indeed. And I'm I'm also
1: in a documentary about them, a documentary called Beyond the Lighted Stage. i am in it like four times, which is kind of cool. (laughs) ¶¶ (laughs)
0: <laughs> tell us the story, because uh, you're going to invoke WMMS, which was the radio oh, yeah. station I grew up on. So tell us the story of yeah, how it's so, you... it's so
1: It's so different today. It oh, really it is. is.
0: I was just there. So tell us the story. How did you discover and get Rush signed, or at least have a hand in it?
1: I did have a hand in it. Um, and it was one of those things that a lot of young listeners are not going to be able to understand, not because they're stupid, but because the industry has changed so much. Once upon upon, in a kingdom far away, radio was the dominant mass medium for young people. And when I say young people, I'm talking teens. I'm talking 20-year-olds into the 30s. And radio, whether AM, which was where Top 40 got started, mm-hmm. or FM, which was where underground and so-called hippie music got started, <laughs> Um those were the two places where you would go to hear the hits and later to hear the album cuts. And I was working at a radio station in Cleveland, which was known for breaking new music. Back then, you couldn't just, like, go get it on YouTube or download it from the App Store or, you know, iTunes or whatever. You relied on your radio and on your favorite DJs and on your favorite radio station. And radio had a lot of freedom to break new artists. So I had a reputation. I was a music director, which meant that I helped to select the music the station was going to play. And I'd been a music director at several stations. Mm -hmm. And in Cleveland, I was again the music director. And I worked with the program director to decide what we were going to play. And I would get sent records from just about everywhere. Again, this is the pre-internet era, so it's not like somebody sends you an audio file. It's like they sent you actual vinyl records.
0: Oh, they used to do and it when I worked in in radio.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And so I would get these records, and I would go up to my office and listen to them. And most of them were kind of hmm. And every now and then, I would hear something that just made me go,
0: yeah. Okay, so what it was, was the was song? In, it was
1: in May. It was in May, late May of yeah. 1974. And a friend of mine from Canada, with whom I am still in touch, even low these many years, um, he sent me an album... Uh, it was a homegrown album. It was on Moon Records, which the band themselves kind of <laughs> created, from what I can gather. But I didn't know that at the time. Okay. Uh, I just knew that the album cover did not ring my chimes. But, you know, I figured, hey, it, it, maybe they don't have a lot of money for graphics, but let's listen to the music, because the guy that sent it to me, I had a reputation for being able to hear hits. I could just, you know, find a song, and I knew whether it would or would not be a hit. The guy that sent it to me knew about that because he had interacted with me elsewhere at other stations, and so he sends me this record and says to me, you know, I work for A&M of Canada, which is a record company, Mm -hmm. Um, and he says, our company is not going to sign these guys. They're not quite ready, okay? But I... I really do hear something and I'd be interested to see whether you hear something too. So I went upstairs to my office and I put the needle down on the longest song. I was looking for a long song because that's what we played and I put the needle down on Working Man Mm -hmm. and I knew immediately.
0: We'll continue talking to Donna Halper in just one minute, right here on the Rock School Radio Show. We continue now talking with Donna Halper about how she discovered the band Rush.
1: What I did know was that my friend up in Canada was right. This band had potential.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I really thought Working Man was a perfect record for Cleveland. Cleveland back then was a factory town.
0: Yes it was and you know what
1: I get up at seven, yeah, mm-hmm. go to work at nine, got no time for a living, yes, I'm working all the time. And I just really thought it would resonate with people. So I brought it downstairs to the DJ on the air guy named Denny Sanders. I'm still in touch with him as well. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, you know, Denny, you got to hear this. And he plays it. Phones light up immediately. When's the new Led Zeppelin album coming out? <laughs> um, no, it's not Led Zeppelin. It's a Canadian band called Rush. Mahogany Ru- No, No, Mahogany Rush was another band. They were from Montreal. And no, this is a band from Toronto. Don't know a lot about them. I just know there's three of them. And this is a really good song. People start requesting Working Man. They start asking for other songs from the album. So we start playing Finding My Way. To this day, when I hear the opening chords of Finding My Way, it, it still gives me the chills. It really does. It is such a great song. What I was looking for was songs that I thought would fit the station and resonate with the audience. And... Finding My Way was just a great rock song. I know a lot of people think the first album is a throwaway, it's primitive, it's this, it's that. Agreed, agreed. It's the album before Neil joined the band. But it has flashes of the band they were going to become. And it has some really basic and really strong rock and roll. And it was a privilege to be there at the beginning and see what they'd do next.
0: Now, were those the songs that appeared, the songs that you listened to, were they demos or were they the songs that appeared on the first album?
1: They were on the first album. There really was a first album, I know, because I still have my copy. (laughs) And it's on Moon Records. Like I said, it's got a cover that kind of looks like, you know, not the most professional thing you've ever seen. But it was, you know, it was okay for what it was. Um, And it had pictures of the three guys who were at that point in time, Alex and Getty and John. And John was John Rutsey, God rest his soul. And he was the original drummer for the band. And like I said, some of the songs just seemed like bar band, three chord rock and roll. But a couple of them, notably Working Man and Finding My Way, really said to me, these guys have got some potential so yeah i'm glad that they put together a record i'm glad they created a label i'm glad they've got a manager because i called them up immediately it was uh, Vic wilson and ray daniels they were really surprised to hear from me because they couldn't get anyone in toronto to play the record mm-hmm. and there we were playing it and getting requests so i said you know you got to get some copies of this down here and they sent a box down to the store called Record Revolution, which oh, I've been played there. a lot of imports. Oh, been there. And, oh yeah. Yeah. And they played imports. Peter Schleewin, I believe, God rest his soul. And um he was the, the owner of it. But anyway they sent the box down and it sold out pretty quick. Yeah. The next thing i know uh they're coming down for an appearance and i got to meet them and neil joined the band and their sound started to evolve and to change and to deepen and so did our friendship and it was really really cool to watch them grow watch them change watch them evolve um i i don't want to shill for the documentary but Beyond the Lighted Stage really does tell a very good story of how that all happened, and it's pretty accurate. I did not know at the time. I would be lying if I said I did, okay? I'm I'm nobody's psychic friend here. I did not realize that they would go on to have the kind of career they had. I hoped they would. I thought they had some talent, Mm -hmm. but you never know. You know, Joe, you've been in radio just like I have, okay? I mean, I had more than three decades in it as a music director, as an on-air person, you know, as, as an assistant PD, and later as a consultant. And you and I have both heard songs that we just thought were Garbage, and yet they went to number one. Yeah, and we've heard other songs that we thought were just amazing, and they yep. died a painful death. Yeah, so you know, we did things called turntable hits, like everybody, uh, all the on-air people loved to play them. Nobody else did. Okay, didn't get one request, but that wasn't the case with Rush. Hmm. And the case with Rush, the people that didn't like them were the critics. The critics were like, they're derivative, they're just noise, they're this, they're that. Nobody liked them but the people, okay? The audience really fell in love with the band. They loved the original band, and when Neil joined the band, they loved the new version of Rush. But however you slice it, this was a band that was able to capitalize on something. They played all across the country, they were a hard-working band, they put on a great show, And they were just really nice people.
0: You know, I saw their their final tour, this last goodbye tour.
1: As as did we all.
0: It was yes, brilliant. Yes, I blogged about
1: it. Yeah, I blogged about it. It
0: yeah. was brilliant. It really it was. was a,
1: and it was very emotional for a lot of us. Yes. Um, I know many people that would like to see the band, you know, reunite, come out of retirement. No, no, it, it's probably That's not enough. going to happen. Health-wise, unlikely, okay? Yeah. But there is always a possibility that they may get together at some point and do some new music, I know that Getty still loves to play. You may have seen him at the um, uh, induction for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame recently, and you know when he played along with Yes. Um, Getty and Alex would probably do some more performing. But as they said in the documentary, if there's no Neil, there's no Rush. They're not going to try to. You know, here comes all of the audition tapes for all of the drummers. No. These are very, very loyal people. Hmm. I don't think we've quite heard the end of them musically, but let's be honest. They're in their 60s. They have busted their butts for the fans for four decades. They have put on amazing shows. They've signed hundreds and thousands of autographs. They've made a multitude of appearances and now whatever the next thing is for them i support them i love them i think they're wonderful people and i feel honored to have been some part of their success story even a small part
0: it's time to take our second break but we'll be back to continue speaking with donna halper right here on the rock school radio show I have to talk to you about radio now yeah
1: don't I, get me depressed.
0: Ah, uh, I know I feel the same way, which is why uh, I, I wanted to have the rush story out there but I I wanted to talk to you about this business that we were in. you are you know you and I knew each other when you were consulting for a radio station, but Donna, you really were a trendsetter. if I'm not mistaken, you were the first female jock. At uh, at your university, and you had to even fight to get that.
1: Ah, uh, took me four years. Yep. When, to get when a I, shift. Uh, oh god, don't get me started. Really? Um, when I when I was a kid growing up, I always loved DJs, and I don't mean loved them like I wanted to date them. I wanted to be them. Okay, and I never understood why there weren't any women on the air. I figured, you know, maybe they didn't apply. The only women I heard on the air were, like, doing cooking shows and stuff like that. I had no idea that there was this mindset from the guys that ran the industry at that time that the norm was guys with a big, deep voice. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they had to talk like this. You know what I'm saying? Oh, fifty-seven 57 <laughs> degrees outside, you know. That and sounds like me. I, yeah, there you go. That's, <laughs> how, that's why we always got along, you know. Um, but when I got to college... Uh, the first thing I did was apply to be on the college radio station. And the program director said, you can't be on the air. And I said, why not? He said, well, because you're a girl. And I'm like, and your point is? <laughs> <laughs> he said, well, we don't have girls on the air. I said, why not? He said, they don't sound good. I said, well, how many of you had on? He said, none. They don't sound good. Wow. Which struck me as catch twenty two. I mean, if you've never had any on the air, how do you know whether they sound good or not? Right. And I, I had to embark upon a four-year battle that culminated in October of 1968 with my being the first female announcer at my university, and somehow the republic did not fall.
0: <laughs> we it, moved it. forward.
1: Life went on. The sun came up. The sun went down. It just It's amazing how things happen.
0: I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. And I know what people are going to say. Every every market has got, you know, a number 1 radio station. But WMMS where you worked in Cleveland, it wasn't number 1. It was number oneer. I mean, mm-hmm. you had to listen to that station. I believe oh, it was a
1: trend setter if you oh, were a young yeah. adult. If you were a young adult, it was a trend setter. How'd you Whatever, get there? Every single station Every single market had a station like that. I was hired by the program director of that station who had never met me. He heard me on the air and sight unseen. He just hired me. Um, He was looking for another female announcer. And I was on a station where I was able to just, you know, I knew a lot about the music. I was able to talk a lot about the music. Uh, Maybe I sounded like a hippie chick. I don't know. But um, he hired me. Um, it was it was a very difficult couple of years. I think I disappointed a lot of people because I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't do drugs, and I teach Sunday school. <laughs> <laughs> and I I got into I got into <laughs> rock and roll radio. Yeah, you laugh, but I got into yeah. rock and roll radio for the music. The lifestyle was never something that interested me.
0: Oh, it's one In of fact, the, I am the I only left.
1: person. I am the only person I know about mm-hmm. who ever got fired from a station for not smoking dope, okay? (laughs) I I literally got fired because I didn't do weed, okay? Wow. And, oh, yeah. Um, So it was like that. And years later, some of those folks that I didn't get along with real well, we get along better now because there's a lot of people in recovery and there's a lot of people. As time goes on, things change and stuff that seemed so important at the time is no longer as important. But I was... In radio, at a time that had both good things and bad things. The good things were I got to meet a lot of famous people, I got to play a lot of great music, I got to do some exciting things that very few women of my generation had a chance to do. The downside was that I didn't fit in anywhere. I just, you know, it was a time when there were a lot of substances going around and a lot of conformity in that regard. So, um, You know, at the risk of sounding judgmental, I I, I just didn't fit in.
0: Look, I was still in radio when it was wonderful. However, it is my opinion, and I want your opinion as well, that it was during... Years before me, the Reagan era, when the downfall of this phenomenal media that I love, this medium is just so wonderful, I'm of the opinion the beginning point for the downfall was Reagan's deregulation. Are you with me on that, or is there a separate point that you look at? I
1: think think one of the worst things that ever happened was getting rid of the fairness doctrine. Hmm. And I, I know people that bitterly disagree with me, but I really think there was something good about radio having an obligation to present both sides of the issue. Now, many people have misinterpreted that like, oh, my God, you know, you couldn't be a conservative. Yeah, you could. There were plenty of conservatives on the radio Mm -hmm. back then. The only difference was you could not make wild and unfounded claims without giving the other side the opportunity to present the opposing point of view. When deregulation occurred, when the Fairness Doctrine was gotten rid of in 1987, it opened up the floodgates for one-sided radio. It led to Rush Limbaugh. It led to various other, and I'm not dissing Rush. Rush did a lot to bring people back to AM, God bless him. But I'm saying that you no longer had the obligation of presenting both sides of the issues. And so a lot of stations just became these one-sided, one-note, you know, one-trick ponies, as it were. And it made money for them, but it sure wasn't good for the listener the other thing was the caps had been coming off of commercials am started playing more and more and more commercials same thing gradually with fm to the point where when the audience had the opportunity to listen to stuff via you know spotify pandora youtube whatever they were like why do i want to listen to 19 minutes of commercials i can Mm -hmm. just play what i want to play right and one other thing Radio stopped developing talent. Even in the 1950s and 60s, where formats were really rigid and where people were expected to just, you had 30 seconds to talk and that was it, there were still some incredibly creative announcers. After deregulation, it kind of seemed like everybody wanted to just be the next Howard Stern or they wanted to be the next Rush Limbaugh. Mm-hmm. And when I would consult stations, I would say to them, this is not political, okay? This has got nothing to do with, are you a righty, are you a lefty? This has to do with, are you interesting and entertaining? The world does not need another Rush Limbaugh. The world does not need another dirty-talking Howard Stern. We've got one. Thank you. We have several. <laughs> be yourself. Be yourself develop something that is unique to you in the early days of radio that's what you had to do even into the 1970s and early 80s that's what you had to do but gradually there became this derivative imitative culture where it was like pick the big people and be like them and it stopped being wow my favorite station is unique it started being, oh, I can hear Rush Limbaugh on 660 stations. wonder what else there is to do these days. This one's for you, Alan Creed, wherever you go. Whatever you do, because the things that do doing today will make a scene out of you.
0: Donna Halper, I can't tell you how happy I am that you decided to take an hour and sit and talk with me.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Anytime at all. I hope I haven't been boring, and uh, I'm very grateful for the opportunity. I'm glad mm-hmm. we were able to reunite. It's one of the cool things about social media. You know, you can find people that in many cases you never wanted to talk to ever again, mm-hmm. but in some cases you did want to talk to again, and it's, it's just so nice that we are able to reestablish our friendship And I enjoyed working with you then. I enjoy working with you now. Thank you for having me on.
0: You bet.